0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fluff and Crunch. Today, Chris and I discuss the opportunities and the challenges in translating a video game into a tabletop role-playing game with some specific examples. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. street fighter behind you that is street fighter that's a game it's, you may well be familiar with i have heard of street fighter actually in my my arcade um cabinet that's over my left shoulder i have umpteen versions of street fighter
1: <clears throat> there you go
0: there we go so hey how have you been oh no wait no don't don't get sick don't start coughing because i've been coughing <laughs> it doesn't um, work
1: that way <laughs> uh yeah i've just had, i've been off on holiday for two weeks traveling around sort of parts of Europe. So very nice very nice what were some of the highlights what were some of the, the
0: best places you you went to i saw some really terrific pictures and i was jealous i kept i kept wanting to dump a stupid comment about you like charging a castle wall or something because there were a lot of castle pictures which <laughs> is
1: only only proper um yeah as it turns out like the rhine is insanely good so this is in germany for for castles um there's this str- we i mean we picked a place called Koblenz, which i don't think i'd really heard yeah. of before purely because from the stretch, not really far south of it, there was so many castles. So we literally had a day where we like, saw this big fort thing in Comblent and went south and, and like saw another castle and came back and saw another castle. And then, yeah, there's just so many castles there. So they had some really amazing castles. So yeah, that, seeing the castle there was really good. Um, Bruges was really good. Um, I don't remember going there before. My parents said I have. I don't remember, Yeah, that was, that was nice. Um, yeah, it was, it was, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It was a good time. Um, Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, and you wanted to ask me about the thing. So, yeah, one of the things I did, we did, we did this last time I we went on holiday. Obviously, it's a while ago now because of COVID, but sort of three years ago, we drove to France um, and we took our car. And as we went through, if we had long drives, we would play D&D in the car. So I would like run a story and Annie would roll all the dice. Um, and I, I did the same thing this time, except this time I really wanted to, I wanted to continue our sort of League of Legends characters that we've had sort of on and off. For, I don't know, like sort of two years now but I wasn't happy with the systems I used. So I actually made up my own system. So I may talk about like this in a future that. episode, like how I came up with it and, and some of the, how things do you come up with
0: a I just, I well, really the, the question for that is how do you come up with a family friendly yeah. car friendly game system? That's, that's actually, that's a I niche. Mean, the, the,
1: yeah. The, the, the car friendly didn't massively have to come into it, but it did to some extent partly because of what dice we used okay. that, that did have then an impact. Um, But yeah, I sort of came up with this system that would be relatively simple for them to understand and for me to run and yet do the things I wanted to do. Um, And we played a couple of sessions of that. I mean, the first one was most successful. We literally played sort of one story episode and they were like, oh, let's do another one. I was like, okay. And we had the time. But um, despite all our long journeys, there was a lot of time where we just had other things we wanted to do or Annie was doing something. So I think we only actually managed about three sessions. So. Um, but yeah, that was, that was good. So actually I managed some role-playing. I played an awful lot of games. Like almost every night, me and Meek would play some different kind of like magic, the gathering type card, get different kind of card games. Uh, and that was almost every evening we did that. So, so yeah, it was, it was good. How about you? Cause I believe you've been to some kind of convention, which is why you're a bit. Yes. I, uh, well,
0: I was about a week and a half ago. I was, um, I was a little sick. I had a little bit of a head cold. And for me, uh, I get a cold, it, it settles in my head and then it, I get better, but then my head doesn't get the memo that the rest of me is better, so it lingers. And so then we had, uh, Tucson Comic-Con took place this last weekend. And, and today, you know, we're, we're recording on Labor Day in the US. And so today's a national holiday. Um, Tucson Comic-Con took place uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the convention center that's downtown here in, in the city. And uh, obviously, you know, because of COVID, you know, these things hadn't happened for the last couple of years. And the game convention that's been going on here in Tucson for nearly 20 years is called Rincon, R-I-N-C-O-N. And that's a, a, a play on terms because one of the mountain ranges that is immediately around Tucson is the Rincon Mountains. So ha ha, Rincon. There you go. Um, anyway, so RingCon obviously hasn't happened since 2019, and uh, what the organizers of RingCon decided to do is work with, kind of glom on to Tucson Comic Con. And Tucson Comic Con's always had some gaming rooms, but not not super well organized, nor were there lots of them. So RingCon took over the expansion and management to an extent of gaming at the comic book convention during the day. And then took up space at a nearby hotel Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and actually all day today. But I'm not attending today because I am raw um, for for gaming. So I uh, I played a worker placement resource management board game on Friday night, which is very not like me. But I had a great time. It was a terrific <laughs> game, and I'm gonna I'm gonna point that out in a second. And then I ran a Star Trek Adventures game Saturday night, and I ran a um, Octoon Cthulhu last night. And both of those went really well. I had a bunch of players who'd never played it before. Um, The scenario I came up with Octoon Cthulhu was an original, and it worked really well. Um, Yeah, it was cool. It was really neat to have, again, tables full of people who have almost entirely never played 2D20 and came away like, oh, this is so cool. Cool. This was so fun. And, you know, halfway through the session, they're starting to have those conversations over momentum usage. Save it, spend it, you know. You had one or two people at the table who were willing to dip their toes into the, the spend, you know, buying points with threat. And some were like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give them any points. So it's all those kinds of things that we dig <laughs> that we like so much from, a, from that table experience. They all start to bubble up to the surface. Interesting, too, and then I'll shut up. Um, the, uh, uh, the Star Trek game, we ended up rolling no challenge dice in the whole session. It was so Star Trek. It was all like problem solving and figuring things out and teamwork and all that stuff. There were there was there were no it was original series and there were no punches. There were no like Kirk combat roles, nothing like that. It was absolutely it was like total Star Trek. It was uh, it was cool. And my one shout out here, I met these guys who designed their own. The game that I played Friday night is called Holotype, H-O-L-O-T-Y-P-E. And you can look that up. They they uh, they did a campaign for it, and the thing fulfills in a couple of months. And they they are still accepting pledges. It was a terrific game. Just, and I'm not big into that type of game like meeples and stuff like that. It's not that I don't like them. I just don't have a lot of experience with them. How to blast playing it. If you like dinosaurs, <laughs> you might dig this game. So anyway, I'll put a link to their uh, their their campaign in the in the notes. And so my throat is shot because. Oh, oh, one last <laughs> thing also. On you Saturday during talent. the day, I played <laughs> Deadlands. I played Savage Worlds. And how did you get on with that? You know what? I was reminded of the good and the stuff that I don't like in it. I mean, it was, and I didn't go in with a preconceived notion of, this is how I'm going to feel about this by the end of the session. But bennies are pretty flat. Um, you know, I had a giant pile of bennies and i was just there were times where i was throwing like three or four one right after another to re-roll dice because my dice rolls sucked I, i mean you know monsters in the old west and shooting stuff and bad western accents and everyone with mustaches is kind of fun but um it was easy it was fast it was fun i'm not sure how furious it was but um it it left me, you know, the system itself. It, as we've talked about, there's just not much to it, and there really wasn't anything that made it feel more like the haunted west. So, but it was, it was, it was fun. Good, yeah. So let's talk about our topic for today. You wanted to talk about?
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, we're going to talk about computer games because mostly because we we needed an episode, and I wanted to talk about so what what can I talk about that I know a reasonable amount about that Jeremy doesn't. so You can just like throw in. The odd comment here, um, I thought actually, yeah, I got this topic. I can talk about computer games as a source of inspiration, and what things you should bring across and what things you shouldn't. Um, you know, we've done it similar in the past. We did a we did a whole episode about like metal, uh, and you talked about lyrics, and I talked about like the art. Particularly, I was looking at um, like Iron Maiden covers, wasn't it? Uh, but yeah, so computer games is something that gives me a lot of inspiration. You know, I play I play a lot of computer games um and famously you don't <laughs> i don't your knowledge seems to end with a sort of pac-man in the i don't know is that even the 80s or is that still oh, i
0: i i can dispense with it i've i've way way back when when i still had like windows 98 era literally uh i played Baldur's gate i played icewind dale i played birth of the federation it, it is strategy uh level you know you you pick one of the major powers and you build the space whatever and i also played um the i forgot what it was it called starfleet academy or it was a the the starfleet um tactical combat simulator it was a right. starship combat one that's it so hit me tell me about this what are what are games that or genres or whatever that that you think are good to port over that would give, some, give people something to think about? Like, oh yeah, I, I hadn't thought about using that as a tabletop game. Instead so what, just what I've, done, game.
1: I've I've split into kind of four categories, not necessarily if things that are, you know, do port this, don't port this, because at the end of the day, um, if, the, you know, if you've got an inspiration, you've seen a film or you've read a book or, you know, we listen, we listen to metal, or you've played a computer game, you might, oh, I really want to play this. And then you go, right, how can I turn this into a computer game? Or how can I turn this into a tabletop role playing game? Um, and so some things I've done with some success and some are harder. So these are more kind of like, I've got four genres I'm going to look at. Uh, I'm going to start with the most obvious one. Uh, the most obvious one is, is role-playing games. So like you mentioned, Baldur's Gate and Ice and Um, those are relatively easy, funnily enough to port because well, they've they went the other way. They were, um, you know, they were D and D games, which then became computer games. One of the things that annoys me with some of these things now is when they like not using the right edition. So like. You know, like if I was if I was going to play a DD-based computer game now, I'd want it to be running fifth edition because that's the current version of DD. But you'll go and look at things and realize it's kind of based off 4e, and you're like, oh, this really annoying. Um, or you know, vice versa, or you know, kind of like the Pathfinder things. And now we're on Pathfinder second edition, and one of the Pathfinder games is still running first edition. That's kind of a bit jarring because you're expecting it to be like a newer version of the rules. Um but obviously like so there are you know huge amount of role playing games. so ignoring things like the which are ports of tabletop role playing games um one really good example would be dragon age uh, and i'll come to its sister game in a minute so dragon age was a fantasy role playing game that came out i don't know let's say 10ish years ago uh and then it had two sequels imaginatively called dragon age 2 uh and then dragon age 3 wasn't it was called dragon age inquisition but dragon age famously did have a role playing game uh, which has now spun off its own system. So the initial one was just called the Dragon Age role-playing game, and they and then they called it the the Age System. So then we had Fantasy Age, we've got Modern Age, which have good and bad bits. It's you know, it's it's a pretty straightforward system. Um, but they try to kind of do a job of porting parts of Essentially, I feel like they came up with their own system and then ported bits of Dragon Age into that. Now, to some extent, since they, they probably could have just wholesale just ported the computer game. They chose not to, but they could have. And that's actually one I feel like yeah, maybe they should have done more. Um, but generally, porting role-playing games is pretty straightforward as long as you stick to kind of the things we've talked about in the past. So we've said this previously. You've got to consider story-setting system. Um, and I'm going to keep coming back to this thing all the way through. If you're taking something which is role-playing, it's so like a Final Fantasy game, you can't really port the system of these into a into a role-playing game because they're not, they've been designed for computing. Some of these games, you know, you go from level one to 100 or you have damages in the thousands. Um, you know, if you're trying to play a Dragon Ball Z game, then fair enough because you there's a joke about, you know, I did more than 9,000 power and, you know. But most, you know, when you look at computer games, you will see doing damages in the hundreds or in the thousands. We don't have that in tabletop. I mean, you can stick a zero on the end of our numbers, fine. But, you know, in tabletop games, generally, you're looking at damages. I mean, like, we look at 2D20, your damages. you know, we have this big five is a wound. So you're normally doing one, two, three, four. D&D, you start off doing, you know, less than 10. And when you start hitting, reliably get between 10 and 20, you're excited. And if you start hitting the sort of 30, 40s, 50s, you're like, woo. So you can't just wholesale go and take a, a role, uh, you know, a computer game, role playing game and just go, I'm going to try and port across all the system. Really what you need to be thinking about there is, you know, what what's the main bits? If it is a very D&D style thing with your classes and your races, then D&D is, you know, actually one of the few times when D&D is the correct thing to use is if you're taking a table to a uh, computer game role playing thing, yeah, go into D&D but not all things have their classes and races and so on, in which case maybe not appropriate. I think the trouble there
0: is it would seem when you have the, the when you have, and this is, this is part question, part comment. So please give me feedback. It would seem to me that I remember, you know, from Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate, you know, you have that, that Corona of information around the edges of the screen telling you what you're armed with and how many points of this and how many, although that, you know, the, the, the statistical information that the, that the game engine is feeding you about the status of things. And I think it would seem maybe deceptively easy to just say, well, look, I have all that information. I can interpret how the system determines and then spits out that information. If I can just put that to paper, I'm good, you know. But uh, but I, I think maybe it's more of an issue of paying attention to the, how does the game go about determining success and failure and how and then coming up with ways to emulate that instead of directly translate that onto paper? I think that would be a that makes more sense instead of taking what seems like the easy
1: route, which you don't need to be doing all those extra zeros that that seems silly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing when you're compor- porting it, the thing you need to do is think it's probably not even you know pick a system that you're happy with and you're familiar with and you've run. And then take the elements. Okay. So, like we've seen two, we've seen Modifiers have done that. They've done it with Fallout very successfully. Uh, they've done it with Dishonored. Again, it wasn't what I wanted, but I actually think the Dishonored thing, it does a very, very good job of portraying the Dishonored computer game. Um, Homeworld, different story because there you're trying to take something which is a fleet level tactical strategy game and turn it into a, a crew based star trek game which it, it you know so that you're you basically you're changing the genre there so you know you the, has shown how to do that uh quite well one thing that like the holy grail of computer games coming back to tabletop role-playing games is mass effect you've heard i've you've heard me talk about this you heard nathan talk about this when we interviewed him um that is this basically the sci-fi version of dragon age um if i think it actually precedes dragon age and it's a really really good sci-fi role playing thing. there's a massive world there um, there's lots of really interesting things. It has classes in game. And this is one where you would have to do a lot of work to just take it. That's why That's why kind of we've seen hacks of it. Someone like Fate did a re- I've seen good versions in Fate. I've done versions myself in sort of Cortex. It, doing it in a relatively narrative system is easy because it's easier to kind of get the flavor of it without having to worry about the mechanics too much. If you go into the try and take too much of the mechanics of it, then it starts getting quite awkward because you have things like recharging shields. Well, recharging seals is super easy to do in a computer game. If you haven't been damaged for three seconds, your shields start going up. In a tabletop game, that's a complete nightmare. What do you do? Like, do you have to go around without having damage? Do you have your shields always gain one shield point every round? You know, it becomes very awkward. And that's the kind of thing I think, right. Is it important? You know, is this an important part of the setting? that's an important thing to consider. It, and I think that's where it comes back to our, our idea of setting there. What's the important bits? Some obviously mechanical things are important. Like, you know, if you're playing a Star Trek game, you want phases to work like phases and you want ships to like work like Star Trek ships. You want, if you're doing Star Wars, you want, you know, the force to work like the force you want, you know, uh, uh I can't think of another style, lightsabers. You want lightsabers to work like how they do, but there's a difference. gone. Although I think that what, what's interesting with,
0: Uh, Star Trek and Star Wars is that those are properties, those are settings in which, those are settings that predate any kind of computer game version of those settings. And so we've already had an an attempt at a translation of what the setting in the story says a lightsaber is like or shields are like. We've already had that from the story to the computer game. And what's handy about those kinds of properties is that you can ignore any computer games You can just go right to the setting. Whereas something like Mass Effect, Mass Effect has, correct me if I'm wrong, it's only been a computer game. It's not like it's had, it's had some books and some comics, but but, again, it's, but it it began its story life as a computer game. So that's what we're talking about, like pulling it directly out of there. Like what would be some of the call them like mechanical
1: behavioral high points or must haves of Mass Effect? I think if you look at so one of the things in Mass Effect is your characters break down into sort of three main groups. You have characters who have tech powers, which is like they throw grenades or they can blow up other people's weapons and stuff. So you you need... Pa- uh, and so that's one group. You have things called biotics. So basically, they're not really psychic, they're more like telekinetic, so they can make things move around. And they have powers that do that. And then you have sort of like more soldier things, but the soldiers, I things like, you know, their power, their weapons get strong or the weapons fire faster, or they recharge their armors. So you need a system that can have sort of these like these power things. You're not talking superpowers. It is it is more like D&D fourth edition style um, encounter powers or at will powers. Things you go, right, I'm doing this kind of attack or I'm triggering this ability. So you need a system that can let you do, you know, replicate something along the line. That. And if you do that, then you're going to feel like, okay, cool. I feel like I'm playing Mass Effect. Whereas if you go, right, I'm going to take a say a really fifth edition thing of Biotics of Wizards. Um, and a fighter is just a fighter. Well, fighters don't get to cool do cool stuff like that, really, in fifth edition. Obviously, that's not entirely true. Like the battle master ones with their extra dice and different attacks, they do. But like one of the good things about fourth edition is fourth edition did let every single character, uh, every single class, got to do cool stuff. Okay, they were all just reskins of each other. But if, whether you were a you know a ranger or a fighter or a rogue in combat, you had these different named abilities. That kind of thing is what you want in Mass Effect. You want everyone to feel like, okay, I'm doing these cool combat things. Um, not just the biotics get to do loads of fancy telekinesis and the fighter just gets to shoot his gun and go pew pew, because that's that's not interesting. So you, you need things that let all the different kinds of characters do, do cool stuff. But most of the main stuff, it, it's it's how the world works. Well, you know, there are particular kinds of races in there, so you need to make sure the races are different um so you need a system that where races do actually feel different um and you want like different you know guns and stuff to feel different to some extent you know this uh, this
0: sounds like uh when we talked a few months ago about how do you you know how do you how do you do a mod or a hack like how do you approach it and and identifying the must haves yeah and i mean any system is any system is going to have you know some kind of weapons usage but is is swinging a sword or firing a weapon, is that something that there's a unique quality about in that game that you have to account for other than just saying, well, it does this much damage?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, I mean, role-playing games is the one that people might think this is the easiest one to One advantage of role-playing games, convert them to a tabletop, is they tend to have more set in information. And that's the, you know, it makes it very easy to go, all right, well, I know what's on this planet. Uh, I know what these characters are called. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff, that there's already a world there and it makes it easy to play in it. Uh, now, as a side thing from that is what I would call open world games. Now, if we went back sort of, I don't know, whenever Grand Theft Auto came out, the Grand Theft Auto games were the first kind of things we'd call an open world game. The idea was you know, instead of like a very linear, you go to this town or you go to this thing and then you go to this other, you know, that's that's how loads of role-playing games were designed. They, even if you would look like you were walking more around the world, you were essentially in a, you go to this room, this room, this you set locations grand theft Auto kind of don't, there's a city playing it um what we've had over time is those things have then started adding more and more role-playing elements so something like assassin's creed which is a what you do it sounds you, you kill people you are an assassin it, there's a weird future stuff that goes with it the important bit of assassin's creed when you're playing it you are an assassin in some historic time period you are assassinating well not necessarily bad people usually historic people um but in the first ones of those it was a straight up you know you you Gained extra equipment. You could change what your character looked like. You followed your story and you had a whole town to run around. Um, now, if you're converting that to a role playing game, there's not really a lot to convert. You could run it in pretty much anything you want because every game, as long as you have, can necess- <laughs> as long as you can kill people, unless you know, don't pick a system that doesn't let you kill people. <laughs> um but that, that's it. There's some background elements. There isn't sort of major things going on. There's weird things like you can jump in bales of hay and the guards can't see you and stuff. But you can easily replicate that by having, you know, difficulties to observation and, and stealth modifiers. You know, any role playing game can run that easy. As we've gone on through time, the Assassin's Creed games, and this goes for a lot of other open world games, they carry on adding more and more layers of role playing things. So suddenly you have stats that level up. And you'll have weapons which improve different stats, and you'll actually have skills and skill trees and and so on. And it becomes way more complicated. So another one like this is the, the horizon, Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West. I was getting it wrong, which I had did start doing some work converting these into entered fifth edition because I was like, well, actually that's only because I was like, right, I'm going to write something for fifth edition, which is a popular computer game thing. And it will get me loads of views on my blog. And it didn't, um, which is why I started and then never finished. But it was, again, it was easy to go, right. Well, I've, there's different tribes, their races. Um, and I just need to come up with rules for these special arrow things. But again, it was picking out, was like you said, picking out the important bits. One of the important bits in, in horizon games is having sort of conditioned damage on weapons. So, you fire an arrow or something else at one of these big, they're like big robot animals. So like a big robot bear thing. And if you fire at the main body, it's going to eventually kill it. But if you fire at say it's guns, then it's guns will get destroyed. That's an important part of the game. If you just play straight up fifth edition with it, that's not going to work. You need to have like D D doesn't have hit locations, but if you're playing horizon, you need to have hit locations. Um, which is really why I should, have, I mean, realistically, if I was going to do it, I would do it in 2d20 because 2d20 already has rules you for hit use, locations. You, you
0: maybe it. would start with like a Conan or infinity frame where you have the hit locations with different armor and things like that. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that makes sense. You've got to, you've got to pluck out those salient points of the action
1: and find ways to emulate those. Yeah, I mean in 2D20 it becomes so much easier because you already have weapon effects and you have the sorry, you have weapon qualities and you have the effects on the dice, which can trigger all the cool stuff. The reason I was doing it in fifth edition was purely like, oh, can I get views of my blog? Which uh, it didn't work. So like, well, I'm, shameful I'm not of gonna, you. Yeah. Handering to the masses is what you were trying to do. <laughs> so um, but doing it in two D20 would be a lot better. But again, it's it's like you said, right? Pick there's bits of that system that They're important. You can't have that game without having those elements. So how do you put that into a game in a meaningful way? That's an important part of it. Um, And those, again, those are the kind of things where you don't have to have every single little thing. If you're playing an Assassin's Creed game, you don't need a rule that says, if you hide in a bale of hay, no one can see you. You could just play that on the fly because it's common sense. You have a stealth bonus. So again, it's it's picking which, which bits are are relevant I and mean, one of the weird things in assassin's creed is how you frequently throw yourself off the top of very very tall buildings and if you land in a bale of how hey, you survive of um, course. you probably want a rule to say that that's feasible because if you use the normal falling damage rules from any role-playing game you you're would n- do- not going to make it now um so you so, said
0: you said you got four role-playing games was the first of them what's the next
1: i was counting open world games as the kind oh, of oh well open world the next one second, okay but okay um over time open world games have become more like role-playing games so mm-hmm. they are kind of different. um the next one relevant to my background here is fighting games um fighting games have always been popular fighting games are still going to you know so street fighter was a big you know street Fighter was big enough it got a film okay the film was terrible but street fighter was so big it got a film immortal mean, combat has had a bunch of films mm-hmm. um that's kind of it but you know fighting games are still going on today so you know we still are we're on i know mortal kombat 11 and street fighter six is five i don't know, i've lost count because street Fighter occasionally jumps back and changes its numbering systems and stuff um I, I i like fighting games i like sitting there and just beating some guy up i like playing against like my friends like i literally a couple of weeks ago before i went on holiday me and scott and brian just sat there we were meant to do some board game or role playing we didn't we just sat there and play fighting games for four hours um, and it was really good fun. So fighting games, one of these, you know, some of these get big, the street Fighter cast is, you know, massive. There's like 30, 40, 50 mortal combat is, you know, literally has rule, uh, has a setting where people are fighting against other universes and the universes are then coming here to destroy us. And there's a fantasy realm. And you know, that that's actually a world that you can go, Oh yeah, I can see how this can be a tabletop role playing game because there's different settings there. There's cool stuff and cool powers now. Fighting games. The reason I brought it up is I can think of a couple of examples of where tabletop role playing games have tried to convert fighting games. One being back in the let's say it's in the nineties, the Street Fighter storytelling game. The name might tell, give you a clue as to which system it used. Uh, it used essentially Vampire and Vampire's storyteller system. So you were you know you had your stats were rated in fives, five dots, and you had different. Rule, you know, you basically bought different attacks, and you had different—it's uh, like special powers and stuff. And the idea there was they were trying to replicate the the different moves you could do in the game. Um, and it was it was okay. I think the main problem was it was probably quite slow. It wasn't you know it wasn't the quickest of games. But they were trying to replicate. Okay, a character has like some couple of basic attacks, and then you have some sp- like sort of special attacks, you know, like a fireball or a dragon punch and stuff. Um, and then you have you know, a bigger attack on top of that, like an ultimate attack. And that's what they were trying to replicate. And it kind of did the job. The biggest problem you had is you could make the characters like the Street Fighter ones super easily, but they didn't have a lot of like extra powers. And there was no rule to create your own moves. If you had to use the moves that were in the books, if you wanted to make a character that did something like totally cool, like oh my character creates knives and they throw the knives around in the air, and well you couldn't do that because that wasn't a that wasn't a power they'd given you in the books. You had to copy the things they'd given you in the books. So that was that was its biggest flaw. If you wanted to rip off an existing character, super easy. If you wanted to reskin something, you could. But if you wanted something different that wasn't in the books, you'd have to make it up yourself. So that you know that was problematic. Um, More recently, there's a system which is now in its second edition, literally called fight or fight exclamation mark, um, where the guy tried to literally create a role playing system to mirror fighting games. Now, it does it really well to some extent in that you can design your own moves from scratch. So any kind of like literally any kind of fight, you can have your nice, simple little fight, you know, it's a punch or a jab um you can have something which you know like some oh i throw a fireball but it splits in two and hits multiple people um you know you think you have massive big that on a computer game would be like a screen full of fire and all kinds of stuff. you can create almost any kind of and move you want the problem is is that the detail this goes on to is then excessive that the actual game like just even playing 1v1 i remember like brian and char- brian and scott creating characters and me having to create characters then to fight and just playing sort of like in a tournament system, right? Scott's carrots are going to fight a baddie. Brian's carrots is going to fight a baddie. Then they're going to both, whoever wins is going to fight each other. That would take an entire evening for literally three fights with just two people in every single fight. It was incredibly, it was like super detailed, but it was too detailed. It was like, end up being super slow because they tried to copy too much. And in the end, they weren't copying... I mean, it's what it says on the, you know, it's what it says on the tin. It's a role-playing game to emulate fighting games, but it wasn't to create fighting game stories or fighting settings, or like say, I mean, there's like Street Fighter animes, which are amazing. It didn't copy that. It copied the actual mechanics of a fighting game down to you could put in rules for like what button prompts would you have to put in would control, you know, th- that's the kind of thing you would consider. So like a level, a, te- a level four ability meant it must have three directions and a button you're like this this is that was over the top um so it was a really interesting system It had really cool idea and you could super detail exactly design the moves you wanted your character to do the trade-off was that it was so slow um second edition improved it a bit but generally the game was just like crazy crazy slow to play and that's an example of where you can't just wholesale take the property you're looking at well you know what's important in street Fighter. Right, you have these guys that are super strong they can beat up normal people and when they fight each other you know they're going to do a lot of damage and some of them can throw fireballs so yeah you want something that represents a move um but you probably don't need the insane amount of detail to do with like you know how many how many spaces do i have to be away from this character how far does my attack go how many things of damage what speed and that's the kind of detail it went into um and if you want that there is a system that'll do it and it's very very good at it but for me, it was just like, this is crazy. So we're spending a whole night just doing a handful of combat. Well, it, um, it
0: doesn't sound... Now, I've never been... I've never played... I mean, I have played, but I've never been... Well, you know, I don't play video games. But fighting, like, Street Fighter-type games, like, I've played them a few times, but that's like, okay. It, 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 it's It's on the level of, like a board game in terms of story and 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 yeah. the the narrative investment. And so I that seems like such a strange genre to to try to port over to a tabletop role-playing game. It sounds like it would be a better mini skirmish game or a card game. Like I have this old card game called Kung Fu Fighting, which is a little tongue in cheek, and it's Hong Kong uh martial arts movie card game. And you do all kinds of ridiculous things like flipping, spinning, running up the wall, throwing people through rice paper walls and stuff like that. And it, it, but it works great. And it's, it's fun. You put a couple of people around a table and beat each other up using cards, but I don't, I, I, it just seems like an odd fit. It kind of seems like you you make a game out of this because you just can't get enough of Street Fighter. You just love yeah. Street Fighter. And so you want to have Street Fighter sheets and you want to have Street Fighter shoelaces <laughs> and you want to have Street Fighter pickles and everything Street Fighter for some period of time until you get tired and you go get a new girlfriend. Yeah.
1: Uh, so yeah, that, that just seems like a really odd, an odd fit. And it is. I mean, I certainly, one of the, every time I've played kind of games like that, one of the things I kind of think is like, i would better off just playing the game. Like I can sit there for an hour and play through, I don't know, 20 separate fights or 10 separate fights in an hour. But in a role-playing thing, I can do one fight in an hour. So actually sometimes the actual answer is don't even bother converting it. Stay, just play the game, enjoy the game. I think the thing is, is if you're like, well, I really like fighting games, but there aren't fighting games that let me create my own characters. But in a role-playing game, I can create my own characters. I want to create a role-playing game where... I can make a character that does cool fighting anime stuff so I can then make up the stats for all the other people and, and have them fight. And it's like, yeah, I get that makes sense. But like I said, it, it would work better um, as, a, as a skirmish sort of minis game. I and mean, I've got, actually, I have a Street Fighter miniatures game which basically has nice models um, and it has cars. But again, you've got still got this thing of you have to play with the existing character. If you want to make your own characters, it doesn't exist. So th- that's where it would be. But it, it, for me, when I played it, it did feel a lot more like playing like a really in-depth board game than it did playing a kind of a role-playing game. So doesn't um, sound like it fits. No. And I think that's a perfect example. And that's not a million miles away from my my final one to talk about, which is a kind of a combination I've put two together, which is what we call MOBAs, which are things like League of Legends. Um and then what I would call things like hero shooters. So things like Overwatch. Um now these are the reason I've put these two together are these are things where initially when they came out, it's there's a bunch of characters fighting. And you look at that and you think, why would you want to turn that into a tabletop game? Now, over time, they've done more. So, you know, League of Legends now has 10 plus years worth of, uh, you know, background for these characters. And we have novels now and we have lots and lots of stories about them. And we have tons because they did a card game for it, massively opened up the world. So now there is a world there. Um, Likewise, something like Overwatch started as just people shooting each other, but then there are lots of, you know, short videos for it. And there are comics that go with it, which again, flesh out a world. There's now a world there. Now, the minute there's a world there, people kind of go, well, I want to play in that world. And in both of those things, you the, the, again, the reason I put them together is the, you've got to make this decision, or am I converting the world or am I converting how the games play? Because in both of those, you kind of have an idea, again, almost similar to a fighting game thing, that you kind of have like a basic attack, three slightly better attacks, and then you have like an ultimate attack. And that's basically how all of them work. Now, does that matter? Or is it what the characters can do matter? And this is where I've had a problem converting. You know, a lot of people go, well, just play fifth edition because this character is a wizard and this character is that. And you go like, well, yeah, but I can't make such and such character a level one. And he goes, yeah, but these are the big characters, the level 15. You kind of go, well, okay, such and such a character might be level 15 in D&D, but this other guy is a newbie, which means he should only be level one and you cannot create that character in level one, which is then where you look at something like, say, Savage Worlds, like you mentioned earlier, or Fate, where you can make more powerful characters at level one. Um, but actually, yeah, you these are things where the important thing is the background and can you make a character that can do something interesting? Because at the end of the day, the point of playing in this world isn't to play the, the characters themselves, it's to play in the world. If you want to play the characters themselves, go and play the computer game. <laughs> if you just want to meet those characters and have other people, then just you find a system and you can do it. But again, the important thing there I think you have to consider is it's you find a system that lets you play the setting. You don't need to be able to have a system that goes right. Well, you have um, a passive ability, three at will abilities uh, and a, an encounter power. If you were doing it in fourth edition terms. Actually, this is this is the funny thing is that more and more over the last year or so, I've started seeing people going the solution to playing such and such a thing is to play D&D fourth edition. When fourth edition came out, everyone hated it. Everyone said it was terrible. Because people liked 3.5 and 4th edition, and when I remember it coming out going, this is interesting, but it feels like playing World of Warcraft. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like a computer game had been turned into tabletop form. Yeah, that was the complaint that I heard, and yeah, I don't um, have a whole lot to
0: hold up against it because I didn't play those games, but it sounded valid.
1: Yeah, it totally. I mean, it, it did feel you know even the the, the roles. You know, you had you're, you're a you're a striker or you are a controller or the those are roles straight out of of computer games. Now, so a strange recommendation, but actually, if you are considering converting certain properties, D and D Fourth Edition is possibly a good idea because that's how it's designed. Um, I wouldn't recommend it because one of the problem I had with Fourth Edition is that it looks good initially on paper once you start trying to make characters in it it becomes very problematic because you basically need character building software to do it and there was only one at the time which was their character building software which no longer exists you might be able to find people have written their own or something but um but again there's an example of what's the important bit are you converting are you converting the mechanics now you know fighting games has very clear mechanics in, in terms of League of Legends and Overwatch, one of my things that go right to what you said at the start, like you said, the reason it is easy to convert Star Trek and Star Wars is because you can watch a film of them and you can see what it's meant to look like. Well, By the same thing, go and watch the various videos or read the comics and books for League of Legends and Overwatch. And it's just people using their powers. The characters aren't like waiting for a timer before they're allowed to use that power again. They just use their powers because their powers have a certain... There's certain, you know, stuff they let them do. Um, And that's why, we know, we've seen League of Legends now to start as a a game where characters are like a strategy game. And then it's been turned into a different strategy game. And now it's been turned into a card game. And that's going to be turned into a fighting game. Because all you have is the idea of, right, this person can do this cool stuff. There you go. It doesn't matter. You know, there are characters who literally, they're just a knight. They're a knight with a big sword. That doesn't need a special set of rules. You can run that as a DD fighter. You can run it in 2D20 using the Conan rules. Um, for a lot of this stuff, you don't need fancy rules. Where you do is when you've got the really left-field characters that do weird and wacky and crazy stuff. So again, I mean, the, the really important thing I would come to this is, it, the important thing is converting the setting, not the system. Unless, like my Horizon ones was a good example of that, if there's a super important thing that happens in the game, which is like key absolutely key, then you need to bring that in. But it comes like you said, when we talked about the modding and the conversion stuff, that's what we talked about then. What are the things that the most important things you have to do? And go back and listen to that episode again. If you're looking like, I really like this computer game. The first thing I'd ask is, is there actually enough stuff that you're going to be able to write a, you know, to do a computer game, to do a tabletop game.
0: does is there is there enough story there? And I think like that's where we ran into the problem with homeworld yeah. is that there isn't enough, or at least there's not enough presented in the books that they've put out. There isn't enough one- to one individual level yeah. story. It's this giant, you know lines on a map strategic game. and and there's obviously the implication of individuals interacting with individuals at the tabletop RPG level. But if that doesn't exist in the thing, then, you know, I mean, maybe you want to just, maybe you want to create it, but it's not sitting there for you to convert or, or yeah. seek to emulate. Yeah, I think that's a really that's I a mean, really good point. You could just say, you know what, maybe this is best yeah. just
1: played on, have this, you, on the computer. Because we haven't, this came out over the last two weeks. Have you seen that Modiphius are now doing a home world miniatures game? That's what they should have just yeah. done to begin with. It's not a ro-
0: which actually
1: to me, yeah, yeah. it's, more it's interesting. not really, you know, it's not I a role playing game property. Though. Star Trek is different. Yes. Star Trek. Yep. You can release a fleet battles miniatures game because it has Starfleet battles in it. But also we have, you know, however many series and seasons and episodes of people solving problems like you said, with no combat that can be a role playing game. Yeah. Um, like we said, you can take an exist, you know, if it's a role-playing world or a big open world thing, and there's a whole bunch of stuff there, you can probably run a role-playing game with it. Because if you have, if the setting's big enough to support it and you can make the stories or use the existing stories, then you can totally run, uh, you can totally turn your computer game property into a role-playing game. If it's something like you said, like Street Fighter, you know, like Riot- Rio has a story. Duke but Nukem. It- <laughs> so there's no story there. There's a guy who kills stuff. If you want to go and play a Duke Nukem role playing game just play the computer game. There you know there yeah. isn't enough stuff there. Yeah. Something like Mass Effect where there's a huge world.
0: Or you or you could you could take a game that's set in a like a similar genre and you could be inspired by that shooter type game to write an adventure that that's like that but there's just not enough meat to say I'm going to create a world.
1: Yeah. Because it's and not I think there. that's that's definitely the case with certain properties. So there's ones I've kind of sat there and I thought, right there's, there's enough setting now. I think I'm okay. These are the important setting elements, and then sometimes you hit a bit where you kind of go, Oh, what are the player's actually going to do why mm-hmm. so it's super helpful when there's either some kind of conflict inherent in the system or some overriding you know organization that does it. So for example, if you were playing if you would take an overwatch. The Overwatch name comes from a group called Overwatch that basically solved problems in the world. Right, well, then you just work for Overwatch and you're going to solve crimes and fight baddies and stop over robot uprisings. And you know, then it's just a standard sort of near future setting with weird stuff right. happening. But at least there you've got a thing to pin your adventures on. Yes. Um, you know, some, some of these games just don't, you know, at the end of the day, the Street Fighter games, usually like there's a bad organization and lots of different people have reasons to enter a tournament. That's not a great setup for a, a role-playing game thing other than you're gonna, you know, you're gonna what? You're gonna enter the tournament. So it's just gonna be fighting. You know what it
0: sounds like? That sounds like inspiration for an individual adventure or part of
1: a campaign. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a setting unto itself. Yeah. And and that's essentially, you know, we've we've had this conversation already about should it be a mold or a conversion or a hack. Um, same thing here, you know, to take. Take the computer game, same as watching a film, because I don't think doing an episode on film is really worth it. It's the same thing. Is there enough of a setting there? Because if there isn't, right? Well, then maybe it's just the inspiration for a one-off, a one-off, you know, a one-off one episode of, uh, you know, a one story. Maybe you like the plot of that particular thing, and you go, right, that's going to be one adventure. But is there enough for a whole campaign? Probably not. If the world's massive and there's years and years of, re, you know, like Fallout, different animals, they've gone right. There's tons of stuff there. We can we can release that as a as an actual setting. Um, but yeah, there's like we, we've got these perfect example, of Modiphius and we can kind of go on a slide and scale. Fallout has there's lots of years of Fallout stuff. It's a big open world that was easy for them to go right. Here's our role playing thing. Here's a bunch of monsters in it, and here's a bunch of scavenging and crafting rules because those are super important to the c- yeah. computer game. So now they're important in the role playing game. Um, and then we have Dishonored where, you know, it, the, the setting isn't that big. And I think because the setting isn't that big in the games, that's that's why they've struggled to put that. Like you said, you've looked at the books. I've looked at the books. I have looked at the well, i have not really got a great idea of how to turn us, you know, how to run this. There's some cool stuff in the rules-wise, but I don't think I can run this as a role-playing game. Uh, and maybe they shouldn't have done that. And then we have got, they're just like, well, there's, just, right. there's nothing there. Um, and so actually Modiphius have given us these perfect examples of, Properties that should be converted with a whole bunch of stuff, and and other ones that maybe Homeworld just shouldn't have been turned into a role playing game. It should have just been left as a as a tactical level thing. Which is why they're coming out with a miniatures game for it. Yeah, um, but yeah. Unlike yeah. other things with properties, like you know, if you watch a film and you, go, I love that film. I love that world. I really want to play in it. Well, you don't really have a choice. You kind of have to do a role playing game thing. It's worth pointing out. I said it once. I will say it again. If you're playing a computer game thing maybe sometimes you salute and you're like, I really want to do more of this. And sometimes the solution is just play more of it. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Maybe you finished the point. story, but <laughs> no, that's, yeah, no, that's probably I, I, the solution. I
0: think that, I think that wraps it up. I mean, that, that makes sense. It's, it's hard sometimes because when you get excited about something yeah. and you're really into it, it just grabs you. Yeah. You you know, and who at the end of the day, if, if you're enjoying it, you know, if you sit down and as you know, you, you, you want to convert, you know, you desperately want to have a Duke Nukem uh, RPG. <laughs> and so uh, you you go about spending all kinds of precious time converting and creating and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, a, a, you know, get, if you enjoy that, obviously that's great. Uh, but I think that there are probably limitations to it, but you know, so yeah. what, but yeah, I think probably the easiest solution is just play more Duke Nukem if you can find something to run it on nowadays.
1: I think this is a perfect example sometimes where the more narrative system, something like Fate, which is so easy to just go, Oh, I really, I really enjoy playing this game. I wouldn't want to play a role play game. Which well, Fate's so easy to just, just run everything in. Okay, everything feels like Fate. But if you just want a one off, if you just want to like yeah. scratch that itch, something like that is great. You know, the downside of something like 2D20 is that it's not easy to just go, wow, I want to play in it. Although I reckon it'd be easy to come up with a, like, a like, take, take the, the SRD and almost write a, here's my narrative end light version of 2D20. So if you just, I really want to run XYZ property, here's the version of 2D20 you run it in. Yeah. That's another thing for us to write. What? The, our oh, our yeah. rules light oh, narrative yeah. Sh- version Let's, of wait, 2D20. I'll cut this out so people won't steal our great ideas and Latin them. Well, because, because, you know, we're meant to know how to make money out of it now because it's the end of August. Uh, they said September now, and we still don't yeah. but That's, that's fine because have I haven't been told yet how to do I that. I haven't started writing anything, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind if they delay. I'd like well, to have something to go on launch.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that works. I think that makes a lot of sense, um, and I think that's that's that'll give people food for thought. Um, and I can see looking at the games that I've played, the four that I mentioned, um, where two of them make a lot of sense and two of them don't. Yeah. If I wanted to, to yeah,
1: yeah, I can leave it at that. It's the same, to be honest, as when, when Hollywood try and turn computer games into films. Like Doom. <laughs> yeah. And the ones where they get things wrong, it's like, okay, look, it needs to look, it needs to look like the game is one thing um but then th- is there a story there or is there a yeah. setting where when you do it people go oh yeah and this is where something like, like tomb raider doesn't work okay you have a character you have lara croft she is a yeah. character so actually all that matters is you get the character right you can then do anything it's a modern day indiana jones with a female but you have to get the character right and actually the, all of the all of the tomb raider films have got the character right but then they've just done a rubbish film alongside it well that's that may have nothing to
0: do with Tomb Raider. That may have a lot no, to do exactly. with the style makers in Hollywood yeah, for the last that, few decades. The you can't seem they're, to put out not.
1: anything original or good. No. And like the Uncharted film they did this year was very similar, but that was even worse because there's less... They kind of lost the character elements there as well. So then you didn't even have the character going You know, Look, when you have giant CGI action
0: sequences where we just ignore physics, you don't have to have characters. Come on, we, have, we audiences have been have been conditioned like Pavlov's dogs to cough up their money and sit there and nod and
1: smile and be happy at crap like that. I'm gonna be interested to see if after the success of Top Gun this year, if people kind of go, huh. Maybe people don't like lots and lots of CG. Maybe what they want to see is everything being real, it's or like, and have yeah. characters that are interesting. Well, I mean, to talk, to Tom Cruise is not generally an interesting character, but they do not disparage Maverick. But the the, the funny do thing that F fourteen at the end, come on! I think that the the difference with all of the Tom Cruise stuff is that you just sit there going, "He he did this for real," because the guy's yeah. insane. Yeah. I mean, at his age, you should not be doing yeah. the stuff that he, he does. But I'd I, I, I like to, you know, I give him a lot of the credit as a filmmaker going, I'm going to do this for real. I'm not go- I could CG this. Yeah. I could fake it. I'm going to do as much of this as I possibly can. I mean, he even does it, the fact that he does it himself is hilarious. But uh, and hopefully, we'll see more of it. Actually, let's go back to more practical effects. There's yeah. a reason the original Jurassic Park film is better than all the other ones because more of it was practical effects. Yeah. And you can tell the difference. So we're totally off topic now. But
0: But that's all right, though. This is our segue into the, the, the kind of null space between episodes. So we can wrap up here and people can sit down and ponder what they should, maybe shouldn't do with their time regarding translating video games into tabletop RPGs. There we go. All right, there we go. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.